episode four, building and running remote teams. Welcome to the SaaS Venture Podcast. Sharing the adventure of leading and growing a bootstrap SaaS company. Hear the experiences, challenges, wins, and losses shared in each episode. From Aaron Wykey of GatherUp and Darren Shaw of Whitespark. Let's go. Glad to be back on the SaaS Venture Podcast. I'm Aaron. I'm Darren. We are back to recording action probably three weeks between our, our last episode as we've uh, both been a little bit busy taking on other things. Yeah. And uh, with that, for me, some of the highlights or things that have gone on. One, we did kind of our, our first large show as an exhibitor. We were at International Franchise Association convention in Las Vegas, and that was really great. Probably somewhere between 35 and 50 like what I would consider solid conversations where we have the contact info of like who the buyer would likely be and understand a lot about where they're at in their scenario and things like that. So that was really uh, exciting and, and good to get past too because there were a lot of unknowns in not having done a show of that size with thousands of attendees. I want to say there's like 4,000 at, at the show. So that was really helpful to get through. You talked to Andrew Beckman there? He's from uh, Location 3. He goes on to me about how awesome that show is. It's like... Yeah. No, those guys... Yeah, Location 3 had two or three booths there. I didn't make it over to talk to them. I know a couple others from that organization uh, as well, but I saw their booths, didn't talk to them. I was busy talking to prospects, man. That's great. (laughs) So like, okay, you talked... you You said you talked about 35 solid leads when you were there. And then how many of those leads have converted to follow-up conversations and have you actually closed any of them since uh, you were at the show? Right. So that's like the big next phase. So the the show was just last week, got home Thursday night. And then, yeah, this week has been sending out emails, few responses and trying to get demos in, in place. So that's kind of the next piece and the next of, you know, figuring out, all right, what do those numbers look like? Because you're totally correct. It's one thing to be excited about. And, and you need those conversations to start top of funnel there, yeah. but it is how how fast and, and who are the ones that you can actually get to the table and turn into customers. So I'll definitely have more data on that the, the next time you and I talk. I know what I'd love to know. I would love to know, okay, this is what you spent to go to the show in terms yep. of getting the getting the booth, you know, cost of travel, cost of, you know, expenses with hotel and everything while you were there. Then, you know, looking at it six months later and then calculating the lifetime value of the customers that you were able to close from it and like determining what's the ROI on that. Because I always wonder that about exhibiting at conferences, right? And IFA sounds pretty good. This 35 solid lead sounds really good to me. And so I'm curious to know if you actually have a positive ROI in the end. Yep. Next episode, I'll share those numbers and anything of what we're looking at. You know, the, the really good news, yeah, no, it's not cheap to do it, but it only takes a couple of decent deals to easily make that back. And, and the other thing that I look at too is like five of our competitors were there. And if we're not there in that conversation and in that room, then we're already losing, right? Okay. So there is some brand awareness and being seen. And this is our first time there too. I mean, we had a lot of people say like, oh, I've never seen you guys before. So repetition's important. We already signed up for their 2020 event in Orlando. So, but yeah, next episode, I'll, I'll report on where, where I'm at with those because uh, it definitely is of interest to 
me as well. So yeah, for sure. And there's another side benefit, I think, of these things. So you might have talked to 35 people, but Gather Up was looked at by hundreds, thousands of people. They saw you, they, they, they looked at your banner, they got the sense that you do review stuff and that, you know, two months later when they're thinking about it, they're like, yeah, we should, we should consider Gather Up. We know they're one of the players in this space. Absolutely. And so there's all this, like, you can't measure that. You don't know who those people were and you, you don't know if it's because they saw you at the IFA show. Yep. Totally correct. And, and, you know, some of those, some of the conversations were a little longer term where people like, all right, you know, we're, we're in with somebody until this date, but I, I let's stay in touch because I definitely want to talk to you. It seems like you have more to offer or, you know, would be better to work with. So yeah, completely. Totally. Well, that sounds exciting. Good. Yeah, totally exciting. You know, we also, we are supposed to have a big feature release uh, today on our new inbound text feature called TextBack. Uh, we ran into some snags through a carrier, through Verizon this week and kind of had to right. self-diagnose between Verizon and Twilio and, you know, trying to work with either one of those is almost no help. Mm -hmm. So a lot of self-investigation. We have a handle on it now, so but we had to push back a couple of days till a Monday launch, which pains me, but totally the right thing to do because we couldn't, we couldn't push it out without it working for one of the major carriers um, consistently. So can you describe that feature? How does it work? Text back. Um. Yeah. So text back each location would have a number. So a local uh, restaurant or a local store would have a mobile number that any customer in the store would see signage or on their receipt that says, you know, text the word feedback to this number. Right. And then it auto replies with the link and says, great, now leave us feedback. Uh, on how your experience was. So it's an easy way for a consumer to self-opt in, and especially in industries like restaurant or retail where, you know, giving up your email address or your phone number might not be part of the purchase process, but it gives real-time access. Oh my God, I love it. That's so good. <laughs> I really think about that for some of these like retail type clients that you know, they're not collecting emails or phone numbers at the at the checkout. They're, they don't have time for that. They're not messing around. They're just ringing people's orders through, right? And so yep. that kind of a thing. And you could also put it on a card that you drop in a bag, right? Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Any, any print way or signage way you can get it in front of them can absolutely be used. And huh. yeah, just as you alluded to, you get real-time feedback, you get them through your review process. Those are all wins for the customer and the business. And then, yeah, then you can capture their mobile number or their email for future communication as well. So I'm really excited about it. And so that was really hard to like know that it was going to come out today and then be like, oh yeah, you know, just kidding, guys. It's going to be a couple more days, but better to get it right. I'm super familiar with that. It's always, <laughs> we're always going to launch it, but, uh, and it was like, oh, we found more, more things. We've got to figure yeah. this out before we can launch. Yeah, totally. So, and other than that, you know, we talked last time about rebuilding and buying billing systems. I had a really good demo today um, with one of the two that I'm looking at. And, oh, and yeah. I think I, I have a favorite in it and like has all of the things that we needed in the billing system, all the features, a couple others that were on our like, you know, wish list, but are there. So we kind of turned over a ton of information to them and they're going to build out a really detailed personal demo for us in, in a couple of weeks. Um, and we'll have our larger team on with that, you know, somebody from product and our CFO and myself, and hopefully we can make a decision on that. So that's exciting. And then we've had a, a two new hires in the last couple of 
weeks since we talked to. We uh, hired another developer for our team. So our, our development team's up to five. And then we've hired a new PM. So one of our co-founders has served in our PM role the last couple of years. And he was looking to kind of you know, he, he was there because we needed that role filled more so than it being a, a passion of his. So right. we've actually brought on a, a, an experienced PM um, and it's it's already going awesome. It's been a, a great hire only two weeks in and our current PM is super ecstatic and we're already seeing some benefits of, of some of his experience. So a lot packed into like the last three weeks since we talked. That's fascinating. The PM thing. I've always thought about that having a project manager, like a dedicated project manager to oversee stuff because right now that's kind of me, but I do like 10 other things at the company, right? So I'm not the best person to be managing the development projects. And sometimes I'm the roadblock, right? Like it's like, okay, we want to add these features. Hey, Darren, can you describe your vision for this? I'm like, yeah, maybe next week. And they're just sitting around trying to find things to do and picking off bugs from our, you know, task system. Right. So, yep. And that's, that's why we have, I mean, we've always had a, a product manager role who oversees that and like, you know, helps set you know, for the dev team, help set priorities for them and orchestrate the sprints and tickets, you know, the, be the the leader of JIRA, all of those types of things, you know, and it, to me, what it allows me to be is I serve more as that like VP of product then where I can help with vision and direction and getting feature specs started and, and wireframes and then, you know, that kind of stuff, but leave that product manager to handle all of the air traffic control type stuff for what's flying around. Cause as you know, there's just so much of it. That's funny that you mentioned Jira. I have a developer on my team that said that he would, he would quit immediately on the spot. If I ever introduced Jira to the company. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of our, it's one of our core systems. It's great for tracking, ticketing, moving things around, everything else. So I, our team would probably quit without Jira. So yeah, it is industry standard, right? Uh, the guy had worked with it uh, at his previous position and he just hated it. And we now use a system called ClickUp okay. that we use to manage all of our tasks. And everybody at the company is madly in love with it. It's amazing. We love, nice. we love ClickUp. Yep. And it, well, anytime you have something that aids in process, organization, efficiency, things not falling through the gap, like it, it's such a win, right? Yeah, totally. So uh, billing system, um, what is, who's the winner? Who, who, are you willing to say it or are you going to hold that? Uh, yeah, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll hold that until we, we have a final. Because I mean, what if they listen to my podcast and then they know how badly I love them and I can't negotiate price even harder? Good point. Good point. <laughs> All right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'll definitely I'll definitely share share that with you uh, too. So especially after we get through, you know, by the time we talk next time, I will have had this personalized demo and I'll have a very accurate view. And and I'll also have the opinions. You know, I've done all this legwork and now I'm going to bring in our team and get their reaction to them. So uh, you yeah. know, hopefully there's I would think theirs will align with mine, but they'll definitely have some you know different perspectives from their areas of how they interact with it and what they'll have to integrate with it and things like that. Yeah. All right. Well, from my side. Um, have launched our new review tool. We finally did it. It's we did it, Aaron. Can you believe it? Yeah, I feel like we should just shut down the podcast now because that was I know. the cliffhanger of every episode. And now, what what do we have to live for anymore? The review tool has been launched. I know. Well, it's just first version, so we can keep cliffhanging off of the uh, <laughs> the next version that we're going to launch of it, which will be a paid version of it. So it was just this free tool now, but. We have a broader vision for a paid version, and so we can keep cliffhanging on that for 
the next next few episodes for sure. Nice. It's the continuous thread through our podcast throughout its life. That's right. Like- um, I, I obviously, I, I saw lots of tweets. I tweeted about it. I used it. I sent you some feedback on it. Like, how did everything go with it? Uh, it went amazing. And Dimitri, our, our developer of that tool, he's so great. Like, basically, we have an internal feedback mechanism where it's like, see something wrong with the results? Click here to uh, leave your feedback, right? And so we got quite a bit of that. We got about 12 pretty valid reports that we looked at. And so he then just started picking them up. He'd be like, okay, I see what's going on here. And we fix it, fix it. And now it's like we tried our best. You know, that's why it took so long to, to test to test it very well and get it working to what we thought was 100%, which turns out to be it was about 90%. And then customer stress testing after launch was amazing because it gave us all this additional feedback and we found a few extra bugs and we've stamped them out. Now the thing is just working so nicely. I just love it. Nice. It's such a great tool. Yeah. I'm so happy with how it, it launched. I don't know if I mentioned this last time, but so it was experimental. Uh, we had been looking at, and we'll get into this, is actually quite related to uh, our conversation that we want to talk about related to remote teams. But we've been talking about hiring a developer out of Bulgaria because I have a company established in Bulgaria as well. And so we, we did some interviewing here and there and it just none of the candidates ever came, sh- like really stood out that oh, we have to hire this person. Right. But uh, I, we had this idea that we would put a job posting out to the local university here and have them send it out to the computing science department. And we probably got about 20 good applications for this part-time job. It's a good job for a comp sci student to sort of get some skills while they're uh, still in school. And this one guy that applied seemed really great. So we hired him. He, he works part-time. He submits his hours. And he's the guy that built the entire tool. No other developers were involved. Uh, he built that complete system in about three months. And I'm just so thrilled with it. And so this concept of hiring part-time students is like, I'm like, wow, we had such huge success with Dimitri. I want to try and find some more developers. And because we're a remote company, I can hire across the whole country. I could hire any out of any university in the country. And so I would like to hire a couple more of these part-time developers. Yeah, that's awesome. No, as, as we talk about remote teams, I think that what you just stated kind of threads in line with something we can talk about. And it's it's finding what works for your company and your culture and knowing that, hey, this is something we can repeat based on these things, right? Yeah. All right, should we talk about remote teams? Yeah, well, yeah, before that, I wanted to hear about, you went to uh, the LSA, the Local Search Association event in San Diego. And I know you talked there, but like, how was that event? Yeah, so that was great. It was early last week. It's the first time I've been to an LSA event, and it's more businessy than agencies, you know. So, yep. uh, lots of the events, like the local U events, or you go to MozCon, or or some of the you know MN Search Summit, you get a lot of agencies and, and SEO people at these events. Um, LSA was great because there's a lot of big business there. So there's a lot of vendors there. So you have uh, a lot of the SaaS players in our local search space were there. So the conversations were very interesting. It was great to look at other products. I had some great talks with uh, Neil Chris from Moz. And uh, my presentation was went really well too. I was bringing the local search ranking factors, which I was a bit worried would be you know, people are getting tired of hearing it, but it seems to me like the audience, it was fresh info for them. So that was also good. But some of the topics were really good. And one that I got a lot of value out of was this topic on churn. So the topic 
the session title was customer retention, you know, reducing churn. And Moz looked at this. And so, uh, you know, uh, Neil Chris from Moz gave an interesting presentation with a few takeaways about, you know, uh, their, they did this report. It was sort of this state of the local search industry. They surveyed a bunch of people. And so they, they he kind of went through that report. And Brendan King did a presentation on they analyzed over 2,000 SMBs for this retention study, and they've been studying this for over three years, and they were asked a number of questions that they were able to pull from their data, which was, you know, uh, a number of them were things like, does the quantity of products that a single SMB is purchasing affect retention? And the resounding answer was yes. So if you're, you have multiple products and you can get the person to sign up for um, more than one, then their retention rate will go through the roof. And it makes a lot of sense because they've become dependent on you for many different things. It's not just this one thing that they could easily find a competitor for. It's like, we like to have all of our stuff with WhiteSpark. We've got our review management there. We've got our rank tracking. We have our citation analysis. Uh, we're using them for our citation building. So if you look at, you know, in, in my business's case, if I looked at all of our clients and I found the ones that have lots of uh, different products and services, those are the clients that would be the most likely to stick with us. And so the takeaway there is, you know, cross-sell. Look, if you can cross-sell, you can get all of your clients, like if someone's on one thing but not the other, getting them to you know, be interested in using some of these other products will definitely have a positive impact on retention. I thought that was uh, a pretty interesting insight. And of course, you want to do that anyways, that cross-selling. Yep. One thing I thought was interesting was user engagement. So this is something that I don't do a good job of measuring, but I would like to measure more. They found a 151% lift in retention if you can get a person engaged in your product every day. So GatherUp is really well positioned for this. If you have people logging in every day and adding new customers, then that's a great way to get them actively engaged on a regular basis. You know, I think about our product. So the takeaway there is, what is the value you can provide that makes your tool indispensable? What is the, the metric you can give them that will help them on a daily basis? And so... I've been thinking about that and trying to figure out what we can do in our products for each of, how can I get someone coming back to the tool every day? It's like on their start button, you know, it's, it's part of their daily morning routine where they, they check something, right? If you can get that, then you'll definitely get a, a higher retention rate. Adding more services makes you indispensable. I think that's what we talked about. So sort of expanding your services. I don't know, how, would that reply to you? Like we can do it because we are kind of this all in one. We want to provide a whole bunch of stuff around local search, whereas you just focus on reviews, right? And Vendasta is, you know, their data is going to be skewed towards this because they do offer like a massive marketplace of all these different products and services, right? Yep. They did say that that would have an impact the more different things that people sign up for. I don't know how, how could that apply to gather up, do you think? Yeah, for us, it kind of applies into all the different things that you can do, right? It's like reviews is the easiest thing people understand about us. But when you get into, you just as you alluded to, you want to be adding customers. So, you know, some do that manually, some do it through an automation tying into their CRM or their POS. So, so that's good. But 
you know, the, the feedback coming in daily, right? And and reading each piece of feedback that comes in, then using, right, we have a feature called auto tagging that helps you build themes of what they're talking about. In April, we're launching a report that'll help you like see the uh, sediment of all the different mentions that they have and which ones are impacting your five-star reviews, which ones are impacting your one-star reviews, replying to customers, right? Replying to reviews, replying to direct first-party reviews, so yeah, there's there's definitely a lot of opportunity for that. You know what they're getting after. You know what we we internally just call that stickiness, right? Like, how do you become something? That, we actually had a great comment from a, a new customer we brought on of decent size and a well known brand. And the first day they launched, they basically said to our customer success team, they're like, we're we're addicted to watching the screen and watching new feedback come in, right? And that's that's one of those you're like, bam, hooked, right? So trying to find ways to achieve those. And yeah, churn is such a, like, it's an important thing. We talk about a lot. We measure it by customer segments. We look at it a lot and we're constantly talking on ways to reduce it. And it's kind of different for each of our different segments between a small business, a multi-location business and an agency reseller as, as what leads to account churn. Yep. That makes sense. Yeah. Another thing that I thought was pretty cool from the the presentation was this concept of verticalization. So if you service a specific industry, let's say it's healthcare or it's storage or it's, you know, legal, right? So if you yep. if you focus on that, you have, apparently according to their data, you have a 34% lift in retention. You're going to retain your customers better. And I think that makes sense too. People think, well, I'm working with the specialist in that particular area. Yep. Even when it comes down to like your messaging, right? You're speaking their language. Yes. You understand what they're trying to achieve, the the nuances and context of their relationships. Like uh, we, we definitely see the same thing. And that's been, that's been a slow moving change for us is getting from trying to be everything to everyone to, you know, really focusing and saying like, yeah, we'll, we'll take you if you're these other things. But we've really found out that there's five or six industries that we work really well with and we should try to maximize that. That's interesting. Yeah. I've, I've also thought of this as a, as one of the future things because we're building a, a larger all in one sort of local marketing platform and service. And so once we have that, it's sort of like the white spark version is the the general public one. So it's like, yes, we offer this to any industry and it's going to work just fine for any industry. But one of the things that's funny is that the service is actually exactly the same. For the most part, it doesn't really have much of a difference um, if you're in storage versus healthcare. You know, there's very few differences. But we could identify those differences and then speak to them and adjust the software just a tiny bit to meet those different needs and launch a new version of it. It'd be like, you know, let's say it was storage. It'd be like the storage local marketing system.com. And it's basically exactly our system and exactly our services and our processes, but tweaked slightly and a whole new marketing platform for it as sort of this verticalization that we would, it would all be run from the one company. And so it's like, it's like, storage marketing provided by Whitespark, but it looks like it's, so in some sense, it's, it's really just the perception, the perception that you're getting a storage specific system. Yep. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, there's a lot of opportunities for personalization in your marketing, right? That's yeah. a big win. And it would, it would be on a different domain and everything would log in different and it would be branded slightly different, but generally it's the same product. Yep. So it's an idea I've had. 
uh, particularly around automotive, actually. I think there's an opportunity in automotive. Nice. I like it. Yep. You might have to further that one down the line. Yes. Well, we'll talk about that later. Nice. That's, that's much later. Cool. Well, hey, that's we have been busy. So that's a lot of updates. And so let's let's get to our uh, our main topic for the day. And this is kind of fun. It actually comes from we actually had a, a listener question. So some validation for us. We at least have one person listening on a regular basis, which is awesome. Kane Jameson reached out to us on Twitter. He is the founder of Content Harmony. And he shared in a tweet, you know, I know a part of Darren's team is distributed internationally. I'd love to hear more about making that work for SaaS development and building a team of devs in a manner that would be pretty interesting. What are, you know, policies and safeguards to to make that successful. So, you know, I, I thought we both actually run remote teams. Um, my dev team's overseas as well. So I saw this as a you know great talking point on the things that we see being important to building and having remote teams. So maybe real quick, Darren, do you, do you just want to touch on like your team size and what your distribution looks like? Yeah, totally. So we have a team size right now of five. And so that's, there's three in Edmonton, two in Edmonton, one in Calgary, one in Nanaimo, BC, and Dimitri, our part-timer, is in Edmonton as well. So we haven't gone international for our dev team. Yep. The five is just your dev team. Yeah, that's just the dev team. The company's bigger than that. Um, we ha- I have a whole company established in Bulgaria that is our service side. So they do all of our citation audit and cleanup service. And how many? how many do you have over there? I think it's around 12. Okay. Yeah. And then that team is led by Nyagoslav, Nyagoslav Zhekov, and he is actually located in Malaysia. So, yeah, we're all over the place. We we're, we're, uh, definitely have a lot of employees. And then I've got uh, one in the U.S. and then most of the other team like support and SEO uh, and marketing that is in Edmonton, except for Allie and Allie's SEO and she's over in Toronto. So yeah, we're all over the place uh, for sure. Yep. Yeah. And same with us where we're a team size of 18 total. Our dev team of five is all overseas, four in Poland. And one is in the island of Cyprus. He used to live in Poland, but moved to the island of Cyprus maybe two years ago now. So, you know, same type. And then the rest of our company distributed between uh, the US and Canada as well. We do have a little bit of a nucleus uh, here in the Minneapolis area now, just from people in my network that I've recruited are hired on. So, we do have uh, five people uh, here in the, the Twin Cities now just from how connections and past work experiences work. But other than that, all across coast to coast. So that's interesting. How come Poland? How did you end up building a team there? Yeah. So our lead engineer, who Lucas, who is located in Cyprus, I believe Don, uh, you know, one of our co-founders originally found him on like, you know, WorkUp or, or one of those types of sites. Yep. And... Ended up, you know, just on a contract and dove into it and did really well. And like, yeah, he's been with us ever since, like four, four plus years now. Right. Um, so it's one of those just a internet job board and, and that's how it happened. And where we chose to go, the, 
the the thing that's uh, allowed it to grow. So at first, what we tried to do is, you know, we in the early days we ran our company very flat. There wasn't somebody who like you know owned a department or was a manager or a lead or anything else like that. And we tried to like you know, all right, let's hire a dev here. You know, we hired a dev from India. We hired a dev from Mongolia. We hired a dev from Texas. And what ended up happening on almost all of those is they failed for one reason or another, either culture fit or communication or quality of work. And we finally just went back to Lucas and said, all right, you're, you're fantastic. You're basically writing everything in the app right now. Like, who? what do you want to hire? Right. And that led him to being the one to building the team. So he's the one now that like, if we know we have room to expand, like with this recent hire, I go and be like, hey, we have the ability. We either need, you know, a, a developer or a senior developer. You know what you kind of need as far as a skill set to be complimentary and and what you need. And he goes through the process of posting and interviewing and giving out the tests and following up and and then coming back to me like, all right, here's the one or two and which one do you think or why? Or here's the one I suggest and here's salary requirements and, and it goes from there. So we, for us, we ended up learning like letting him own that and build a team that responds to him well, that he can own, that he can train, absolutely the right way to go. And we we like, we have a great team of rock stars now and I'm, I'm happy that we're adding one more. Awesome. And then I got a question. How do you pay your remote dev team? Yeah. So we pay them as contractors. So it's an hourly rate, but we do, once they've been with us for a while, we do do some benefits of like paid holidays and and things like that, that we allow them to include on their invoice. So it is a contractor relationship, but we, we treat them as a direct member of our team, right? They're not a contractor at arm's length. They're all on our all team calls and things like that. So it is, you know, minus the the way you have to handle paperwork and out of country employees and things like that. You know, we, we handle them as a, as a contractor. Yeah. And do they invoice you and you pay them through PayPal? Is that the method? Oh boy, I'd have to ask on how we pay them, but yes, they invoice and we we pay them and they get paid. It's it's one of the benefit. Many of them have commented, like I submit and you guys pay me right away, always on time, not not used to getting that on all our deals. And I, I think that's where we've seen our retention. Like everyone ex- minus this new hire, right? We hired, all of our devs have just been with us for years now. Our second most recent hire came on maybe eight or nine months ago. And then now that is the next one that we're just hiring right now. So we've had everything that Lucas has done. We've had, you know, great retention. We've had, you know, a couple that haven't worked out along the lines, but he's just done a great job. How do how do they report their hours? Do they give you a sort of sheet that in, explains, okay, for, for this day, I worked three hours and this is what I was working on on those days? Yeah. I mean, we really haven't had to just based on with this group, we haven't had to be that detailed. Like they put together their hours, but you know, everything that they're doing is there in JIRA and we work very outcome-based, right? It's all about hitting the goals in our sprints and getting the things accomplished and closing tickets out. Um, And we have a much tighter pulse on it than having to, you know, measure up, like worked on this feature for three hours, this feature for two hours. We don't have to get that specific. Now, as we grow, we might have to, or if we hit some, you know, under to average performers, we might have to, but with the group we have right now, like I don't have to coach people up on, I need you to work harder more than anything in our company right now. Sometimes I have to tell people like, Hey, step back, take a few days off. Don't yeah, right. be, don't be so dedicated. Right. Which is both a blessing and a curse. Sounds good. Yeah. 
And now let's talk a little bit about uh, communication with this remote team. So do you talk to them or does your lead developer kind of do all of the organization of this dev team? Yeah, so it kind of splits into a few different ways. So Lucas, our, our lead, is the most fluent in English. He speaks English very well. You know, he and I almost daily on Slack or in conversations, every now and then we'll do a phone call. We have a, a weekly meeting that Lucas is always part of as the head of engineering. And then once a month, the entire dev team will will join us as well. Mm-hmm. So we keep a lot of open lines of communication. We're actually looking at right now one of the... You know, we, we kind of lay out budgets for education and materials and things like that. And I think actually some of uh, our, our dev team actually wants to take English classes just because that is, yeah, yeah, really cool, right? And it helps unify the team even more. That is one of the big benefits for our, our Bulgarian team. So I'll cover up to uh, $1,200 in Bulgarian dollars, uh, Bulgarian leva for per year for English language training because it helps them with their job, right? Yeah. So I'm happy to, to give them that. They have to go on their own time, like off hours or whatever, yep. but uh, we'll pay the expense. Yep. No, that's that's great. That's an awesome, awesome perk. So yeah, I mean, it, it, it's things like that. And then um, separate to our all team meeting, then the product team. So five engineers in Poland. We do have two part-time front-end devs in the U.S. that are local here in the Twin Cities that handle front-end. Then our product manager, our lead designer, and our product marketer, they're all on a call once a week uh, as well where they all participate going through, you know, the sprints, the features, all the things that are there. So, you know, our team, we've established a lot of both fixed and loose communication that, you know, really help bridge all that stuff together. And then lastly, we just have to be delicate, right? It's about, it's an eight hour time difference for me in the central time zone. So, you know, like I know I, if I get up early at five or 6 AM, that's a great time to be talking, interacting with those guys as, you know, their window kind of closes around, you know, 10 or 11 AM for us. Right. You ever get up at five or 6 AM? I do all the time. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Once upon a time, Darren, I would work until 5 a.m. and then go to bed. But having four kids, that definitely changes uh, how, how those things go. So I often will wake up around 5 a.m. and I'm, I'm on email by 5.30 and Slack by 5.30 or 6 a.m. And I find it to be really productive. I'll do a couple hours and then a lot of times I'll go to the, the gym for an hour. And then, you know, yeah. then I'm in the office by nine, but I've already cranked out a couple hours of work before that. And you're in bed by 10, roughly? Absolutely. I'm, I'm an old man that way. And if you stretch me, like when we were at that show in Vegas and the last night we stayed out till like one or two in the morning, like I, I was wrecked the next day. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. For us, it's like by the time we get Violet to bed, you know, you know, it might be 8, 30, 9 o'clock. And it's like, that's the only time Jill and I have to hang out. So we'll watch a show while we fold laundry. And, you know, it's always... 11.30, midnight, 12.30 by the time we're in bed sleeping. So, I don't know. I can't, I can't do 10 o'clock. It's I know. I know you You run a little later than me just from the emails I get from you sometimes or, or when I'm sleeping. So Yeah, right. So, one, one thing I wanted to circle back to with, um, you know, hi- hiring your uh, student yeah. and that working out so well. Is that, do you feel that's because of like, you have a really good training process in place or a really good peer system? Like that, that to me, anytime you hire someone with less experience or, or no experience, 
yeah. um, you, you're really dependent on, do you have the right onboarding and training and, and, and guardrails to make them successful? What does that look like for you guys? Or what did you learn in this process? Sure. So a great question. We do not have an excellent, on, we have a terrible onboarding process. It's like, hey, here's a project. Can you work on it? And so we, uh, I think we mostly just lucked out with Dimitri. So you hire somebody. One of the big things I think if you're going to hire somebody is you have to hire, like if, especially if it's a student, you're not hiring somebody that just is talking, like only has school experience. They must have built applications in their own free time. That's the kind of person you want to hire. You know that they can take a concept to application to delivery and like launch something into the world. Once they've done that once or twice, that's the kind of person that I would want to hire. So I would never hire a student that did not have that under their belt. And so Dimitri had that. He had built a couple of things in the past. And so we knew he had the ability. And we also knew that he worked with our exact development stack, you know, so Laravel and Vue, that's what we build everything in. And that's what he built his applications in. So we knew he could just hit the ground running. He did not need any training. He knew how to build applications. And so my... We have a good support system through Slack where it's like, okay, any questions come up? Because he did have to interface with some of our crawling technology in order to build this thing. Yep. And so, you know, our dev team would support him. So if he has a question, you know, uh, he would pose it to the dev team in the, in the dev channel in Slack and he would get answers. And I would direct him there for a few things too, right? He'd be, I'd be like, oh, you might not know, but we have this thing and here, here's a link to it. It's like one of our admin tools. And he's like, oh, perfect. I could definitely use this. And so he, he had the ability to program out of the gates. And those would be the requirements for hiring students going forward. First, number one, they are already really familiar with our particular development stack. We don't have to train them. And number two, they have launched applications to the world that we can actually play with, use, try out, and even look at their code for those applications. So that's, that's the way we'll hire students in the future. And if I put a job posting out to five universities and none of the applicants have that, then it's no big deal. In fact, I'm going to put those as requirements in the application and I will actively discourage people from applying if they don't have that because we yep. don't want to get over, overwhelmed with resumes from people that, that we know we're not going to talk to. So. Yep. No, those are great. Those are great ideas for sure. What, one other thing that I would add to that that I've always adhered to, and I, th I think our team here has learned and adapted to, is just just short cycles in when you show your work and share it instead of taking oh, it. Yeah, yeah being <laughs> being head down for two weeks and then when you emerge, it's the wrong direction and with the wrong thing and everything else. Like no, like every day, let's surface some work so that we can see we're on the right path. Yeah, and I was pretty blessed to have. Jesse, actually, Jesse was a very strong project manager for this because she was constantly looking at the tool and thinking about it from the user perspective and being like, oh, well, you know, what about this? What about that? And, she, and so her and Dimitri worked really hand in hand to, to like push this thing to production. And I would pop in like every few days. Right. And off, offer my suggestions. And so it was there was a lot of collaboration with this project. It wasn't just like Dimitri is in his dorm room working on this for three weeks and then it comes up and be like, Oh, that's all wrong. Yeah, no. So we was, it was active um, collaboration um, every time he was working, which was great. 
Yep, totally. How do you guys, so, you know, another key thing to me is like, how do you replicate the the happy hour culture or the grab a friend and go to lunch culture that you get in a physical office when things are remote, right? Do you, do you guys look at that at all? Or how do you, how do you help them develop these personal relationships when everybody's kind of, you know, walled off to each other to a certain extent? Yeah, it's a really great question. We've struggled with it for our entire existence. Um, so there are a few things. So one, we have our daily scrum channel. People can sort of put in what they've got there. We try to encourage calls. So different teams will get on calls and talk about stuff rather than just doing it all typing through Slack. Uh, we find that to be productive. We have a channel in Slack, which is our like really weak version of some kind of culture. We call it fun times where people can just post like, hey, look at this hilarious video on the yeah. internet. We, we have the, it's called, ours is just called the random channel. <laughs> the random channel, right. It's like, Someone comes across something funny on the internet and they share it and then people talk about it. And then other things that get shared in fun times are just like, you know, someone's working on a renovation project in their house. And so they'll post photos of like, hey, this look, I installed my sink last night. Check it out, right? And so, yep. you know, the fun times channel is, is exactly that. It's this sort of water cooler where people can just chat about stuff with their colleagues. And it's helpful, but it doesn't get us as close to a culture of face-to-faces as we would like. And so we also, with our local Edmonton team, we get together uh, once a month. Every third Friday of the month, we have to call it a team day. And it's generally a pretty unproductive day. It's slightly productive because we get the FaceTime and we can talk about projects. But there's not a ton of work getting done on those days because we haven't seen each other for a month. And so we, we chat and we talk about life and we drink coffee and then we all go for a nice meal together. And, and uh, you know, the company picks up the, the bill all day and we all just hang out. We always go home early on those days, too. I leave at 3.30 and I go to the gym and everyone else basically leaves at 3.30 so they can miss traffic. And so it, it's just one of these days where we... It's, it's productive in it being a break and it's productive in us getting some FaceTime and hanging out a little bit and collaborating on projects in person. Yeah, no, that's good. Those are, I mean, definitely some some good ideas. And, and that's just an area for people, I think, to really think about, you know, we we try to get past those and, you know, so like, right, the random channel in Slack and encouraging communication and, and sharing, a, you know, what people are doing personally. Last year, we did our first all North American summit. So we brought everybody in from California, Washington, New York, Toronto, um, all into Minnesota. And we re- rented out this 12 bedroom cabin um, in Northern Minnesota. And that, that week was amazing, right? We had 13 people all together and did small groups and did breakouts. And, you know, it was like nine to five work. And then we did, you know, like an escape room, mystery room. We did, we did dinners together. We went out on the boat, you know, just did as many of those things as possible. And this year we're going to try to do an in Toronto so that all of our guys from Poland can come over and do an all company. But that like one week of FaceTime and being around each other and having personal conversations and, and beers or burgers or whatever it is like that, that just catapults you so much further forward than a Slack call. And I think that, you know, on one hand, I believe that the regular office chit chat is 
overrated. People don't actually want that. They love the fact that they like most of my employees enjoy that they can be at home and not being having someone show up at their cubicle asking them questions. You know, they they yep. get to focus on their work, get stuff done. They're more productive. But eventually it gets a little quiet and lonely. And so it's nice to get out once in a while and it's nice to chat in our, in our random channels. When we had our Christmas party, uh, we flew in uh, employees from the rest of Canada. And so we had a nice team day that day where it was easy. And then the afternoon we all went bowling together, which was fun. And then we had a, a really nice uh, Christmas dinner. And so that was the one time that I've flown people in. I generally don't have the budget to do these kinds of summit that you describe, but we'll get there. Yeah, we, we've just, you know, we didn't the first few years and now we've just made it part of it. And we have a we have a lot of other like small team get togethers and executive retreats and things like that, where we might pull in other people if they're located close by just to, you know, try to further that that FaceTime as well. But, you know, to your uh, your comments on like, you know, getting rid of some of the noise and the daily chit chat and things like that, like the, the way I just frame this up is I want to build a company where it's really about working at your best, right? And everyone is different from that. Some people crave people. So with that, you know, if somebody needs a co-working space or, you know, we just got an office in a co-working space here in the Twin Cities because we have five people here. So we got an office that has three desks, but any of the five can rotate in and use it. And there's public spaces there too. And then we can rent the conference room there for when we need to have a bigger meeting. So to me, it's like, where do you work at your best? And for some people, it is in complete silence, never leaving their house and whatever else. And for others, they need some stimulation or they want collaboration or they want human interaction. And I I think I'm trying to work towards that. Like, how do we provide as many of our employees with as many of those opportunities to work at their best? Yeah, no, it's it's really good. Co-working has come up in my company too, and I keep going back and forth on it. I'm still trying to decide if it makes sense. Now, do you find the co-working space sits empty much? You know, I have, we've only been into it like three or four weeks. And so I haven't, you know, I've made it in there three or four times myself. Now, next week we have two people flying into town. They're coming in to meet the rest of the Minnesota team because a couple of them haven't met face to face. So we will be, have seven or eight people in there. We're doing a happy hour with our part-time devs. So like we'll be making crazy use of it next week. And then after that, you know, I, I don't know. I, I would like to think that there's one out of our four or five in there every day or every other day, but I, I'll have to set up a Nest Cam to know that. <laughs> you spy on them. <laughs> They'd love that. Exactly. Aaron, Aaron's checking out the, the co-working office all the time. You get nothing done because you're just staring at the camera. Totally. All right. Well, I think those are, you know, I, I think we kind of alluded to like communication is very key within remote yeah. teams. Uh, understanding and and as you pointed out, hiring people that like have already done the right things that are self starters that can work autonomously like that that's really uh, important. And then finding a way to build and instill culture and make people feel connected and that they they belong not only to the mission and vision of the company but to their peers and and to each other are definitely key aspects in in building a remote team development team or not. Yeah, it's and it's hard. It is harder with remote to build that that connection between the employees, but I don't know, maybe it's not that necessary. We've been, it's been working very well for us for almost, you know, well over 10 years now. So yeah, yeah it's, 
Awesome. Good for us. Yep. So we've gone pretty extended today, but maybe uh, what, what's a couple of things that uh, you have going on or you'll be up to in the in the next few weeks before we talk again? Yeah, I'm a little bit slammed trying to get ready for Brighton. I have to do a full day of training and I have to do uh, a presentation as well. So I've been doing this interesting case study. This is all local search stuff, not really SaaS stuff. And so I'm busy with that. Uh, in terms of team development and SaaS launches, uh, we're, we're plowing through on our review checker tool. So uh, trying to build the paid version of that. We're also uh, getting pretty close to launching our updated version of the local citation finder. So I, I can definitely talk about some of the development stuff that's going on in those. And I got a bunch of tweaks to make to our rank tracker. I don't know, just keep plugging away at all of this stuff. I don't have anything really big on the horizon over the next few weeks. That's the name of the game is keep plugging away, isn't it? One foot in front of the other. <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping, you know, we hopefully we'll talk about our launch of a few different features, a couple of like you and I, UI enhancements that are, you know, somewhat related. I'll, I'll tie it back to when we talk next time. Yeah. Some of it is to help address some churn and things we see is like needing to happen and trying to make that easier for the, the customer and our product. And that text back feature, that inbound SMS feature, I'm really excited to get that. You know, our beta tests have gone really well. So, yeah. I'm excited to get that out. And then next week, I, I'm going to London for a week. So, but just, Good. yeah, just vacation, just uh, awesome. just my wife and I. And yeah, I tried to book a couple of, a meeting with a client and a prospect meeting. And she said, no way. I rarely get time with you. So it is seven totally. days of vacation. So I had to give in. Well, and so wait, what are the dates of those? Uh, March 14th through the 21st. Fantastic. When you get back, you can tell me all the things that I should do when I'm in uh, London for a couple of days. All right. I will scout it out for you and uh, set, set you up with Aaron's trip advisor. Wonderful. Yeah. Sounds good. All right. Well, fantastic work, my friend. We covered a heck of a lot today. Our, our longest episode ever. We'll have to work on being less wordy or, or tackling less topics next time, but hopefully everyone less topics. found it. Yeah, less topics. There you go. Because the, the conversation on it is great. Yeah, it's been good. Thank you, Aaron. Good time. Yep. Thanks, Darren. Thanks, everyone, for joining us on the SaaS Venture. And we'll talk to you next time. And don't forget, if you love what you're hearing, please drop us a review in iTunes. And just as we did this week, we would love to answer if there are listener questions. You can ping either Darren and I on Twitter. We are both very active and, and easy to track down there. So we'll talk to you next time. Talk to you next time. 